Welcome to the Clinical Signs Podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a book review. Yes, we're back in school, people. This book that I am reporting on is called How Doctors Think by Jerome Grootman. This is a book I happened on many years ago, and I was on a quest to understand thinking and medical thinking and anything that I could do to improve my thinking. I was all in for, and I came across the book, and I read the book, and I got a lot out of it. And frankly, I think that it's a very valuable resource for anyone. Could be a physician, could be a veterinarian, could be a patient, which basically we all are patients or physicians at one point or another. But the book, although I don't think it's written as well as it could be, it does touch on a lot of very important points. And a couple of the highlighted points are, number one, let's talk about being a patient, or you could be a client. It would be the same thing if you were a client bringing your pet to a veterinarian, or if you were going to see a physician for your own issue, or even that of a family member, is to be respectful of the doctor, but you should ask questions of the doctor, especially when they're talking about a diagnosis, or they're talking about a particular treatment and what the side effects might be, or a diagnostic test and what they hope to get out of that diagnostic test because the more you understand, number one, the better for you, but number two, you can help the doctor not have bias. And bias is not a bad thing. Bias just is. All human beings have bias. You have your favorite football team. You have your favorite flavor in ice cream. It's no different when it comes to being a physician or a veterinarian. We are a species that looks for simple answers. And in medicine, we are actually taught, look for one disease to fit all of the number one symptoms in people, but number two, clinical signs in an animal. You always look for that, what's called Occam's razor, which is the simplest explanation for a problem. And I can say from my experience, that is actually true. Now, as a physician or a veterinarian becomes more and more experienced, you learn that there's times when the animals have more than one problem. They have two problems. They have three problems. They have four major problems going on. And the difficulty with addressing four problems at once is is pretty incredible. So it does sometimes take time to address all of the issues that a particular animal or person might have. So this book, uh, so I started out for patients or clients. Number two, It helps a physician or veterinarian think about their own biases and the mental traps that they will fall into, whether it's common diseases occur commonly. That's a a typical expression. All physicians and veterinarians have heard of it. If you you hear hoofbeats, think of horses, not zebras. So again, that's another common expression in medicine, veterinary medicine and human medicine. And yeah, most diseases, common diseases do occur commonly, but other diseases do occur. So you always have to be, I think, challenging your thought processes around your diagnosis. And that's what this book helps you to do. It does help challenge you to say, what else could this be? And that's one of the questions that is asked in the book or presented in the book to ask a physician to ask themselves. And I would say too, uh, a veterinarian I never, I haven't specifically looked, but I haven't come across anything about how veterinarians think or should think or could think better 
And I know I wasn't taught that in veterinary school. They did teach you how to, to achieve a diagnosis and then treat a patient. They don't teach you how to really talk to clients. They don't really teach you how to address issues if they crop up in your diagnosis. They don't teach you. I'm only referencing my experience when I was in veterinary school. They don't teach you how to address when you make a mistake. They don't teach you how to how to address, you know, think of your think about what happened if there's an error. If there's an error in a in a technical procedure or there's an error in your diagnosis, they don't talk teach you how to talk to to treat yourself actually, to sit down and break down what went wrong, what went right. And then they also don't teach you how to approach a client with that information. So for me, that was very challenging because I always, of course, wanted to have the proper diagnosis. I always wanted to do the best for the animal and the best for the owner. It doesn't always work out that way. In a perfect world, it all works out perfectly. You get the perfect diagnosis. You get the perfect treatment. There's little to no side effects. You cure the disease, and then you move on. And a lot of diseases are not curable. Some are, some aren't. Some are chronic diseases some are chronic progressive diseases and some are acute diseases that could end an animal's life so this book also helps the physician veterinarian think about their own biases and i think one of the other big things is number one for a physician veterinarian to have an open mind when they're presented with a particular problem and number two, I think one of the keys for me also, one of the take-homes, well, I, I think two more take-homes for me were, what is the worst that thing that, that, what is the worst problem that this patient could be presenting with? So if it's an animal with a breathing problem, is it in congestive heart failure, as an example? And one of the other issues along those lines is do the best physical exam you can. Now, I know in modern human medicine that physicians really have moved away from actually touching patients for the most part. I, I don't think that's a smart trend. I think it's a, a poor trend in general for human medicine, and I hope that it never happens in veterinary medicine because you're going to get more information from a good physical exam than almost anything else. There are some classic diseases that when the owner talks about the clinical signs to you that you go, aha, it's probably this. You do your physical. A lot of times you can almost 100% confirm your diagnosis through your physical exam, but really physicians and veterinarians should do the best physical exam that they can. All right. Let me look at my notes here. I have uh, broken down the book. Now, I reread the book for this podcast, but I've also read it about, I said one time. So this is probably my third time through the book, and I've also gifted the book. So that's how much this book actually means to me. I will we'll put a link at the bottom uh, to an Amazon. To Amazon, I don't get any money for it. It's not the point. The point is that you can, can purchase the book if if you're interested, or at least look it up and read some reviews. Okay. And one other thing that I didn't mention: the book is chock full of anecdotes about cases and patients. It's a book. This is a, a human-based book, so there's no animal issues. But I think it's insightful for a lot of would be insightful for a lot of people. Take-home messages. I think a couple of the highlights here. Patients should be looking out for, for the three Cs from their physician, and I would say also their veterinarian communication, compassion, and critical thinking. That's what you really want out of your physician or veterinarian. That's the ideal. And then sensitivity to, sensitivity to language. 
exactly how you say it, how a doctor phrases a recommendation can sway people's choices. So try not to be swayed. And it works both ways. It's ideal if the doctor and the client have mutual positive feelings for each other. If there's negative feelings, you have to overcome that because you still have to provide the best level of care that you can. But also, if a doctor likes a patient too much, that can sway their judgment as well. So it's ideal for both parties to be neutral and, and approach things from a, as an objective standpoint as possible. Communication, I talked about that. Thinking I had touched on. Thinking is one of the most difficult things in medicine because doctors are trained basically to look for what's called pattern recognition. There's a group of clinical signs or symptoms that are going to fit a particular disease. And doctors use heuristics, which are basically mental shortcuts. And in the practice of medicine, as an example, which they also talk about in the book, is if a physician sees three or four cases of an upper respiratory infection, let's say it's the flu or something, and you walk in and you have an upper respiratory infection, the odds of you being diagnosed with the flu are, are quite high versus you might have some other problem. So that's an availability issue in the doctor's mind that the most available thing in his mind are the diseases that he saw recently that day. And that's going to also impact how they treat patients. And this is a human human issue. This is not a, a failing per se of doctors. It's really a, a, a way human beings think. Now, it, piggybacking on that, in the book, he says that the average doctor has about three diagnoses in mind, and a talented doctor has five. And I would agree with that. Probably most veterinarians are working along the same lines because it really isn't possible in the very beginning of a problem to do every diagnostic test possible. You really have to follow a step-by-step -step process. And sometimes you're going to as an example, in my case, you might give a treatment and see what the response is to that treatment. And if that treatment doesn't work, then maybe you take a step back and say, okay, maybe my diagnosis is not correct. You can get the history again. You can repeat a physical exam. Maybe now you need to do some more diagnostic testing and see if you get a diagnosis out of that. So it, a lot of times it is a trial and error process. And I know in one of my podcasts, I had talked about symptomatic treatment. And we do do that in veterinary medicine, and I know it's done in human medicine as well. And you look for the response because sometimes we don't get a true diagnosis. We might treat symptomatically, and I'm gonna, you can't see it, but I would hold my hands up if, if I was so inclined to say we cured a problem because you gave it, you administered medication and the uh, problem went away. Doesn't mean you actually treat treated the right problem. So. The thinking you need to be open to for, for the physician veterinarian, you do need to be open to what else could this be, what is really going on. There always may be something worse lurking underneath the surface, and not always. Sometimes it's, it's simple. There are simple diagnoses, simple treatments. Patient is cured, walks away, whether they're on two legs or four legs. So that's, that's, uh, that's thinking. Cognitive errors is another topic covered in the book. And I think this is the part of the book that I like the least because it's not as as bullet pointed as I wish that it had been written. It's more hidden amongst all the text. 
So we had talked about confirmation bias at selecting particular symptoms or clinical signs to fit a disease, and you don't incorporate all of the clinical signs or symptoms in your diagnosis. There's other types of bias, commission bias. That's a tendency toward action. Uh, tendency towards action happens when the doctor is overconfident or they have an inflated ego, or the doctor is desperate and gives in to the urge to do something because of patient pressure. Sometimes inaction is actually the best course. And I was taught that's called tincture of time or TOT. Sometimes it's better to wait. Now, I'm not talking about in a critical life-threatening emergency for a human being or an animal, but if a disease is sort of piddling along and you're not really sure exactly what's going on, you might give the patient some recommendations, but you're gonna see the patient probably multiple times or tell them, for example, to call back into the office and follow up and see how things are going. And then that, again, might lead you to do more diagnostic testing or try different symptomatic treatment. Anchoring is another cognitive error. It's a shortcut in thinking where a person does not consider multiple possibilities, but quickly firmly latches onto one because it does make you feel good. Uncertainty does not make human beings feel good. You want to hang on to some diagnosis or, or what have you. So just think about yourself for a minute. You generally will feel better even if it's a horrible diagnosis, but that you get a diagnosis because now you know what you're dealing with. The doctor is no different. He wants or she wants a definitive diagnosis so that they know, okay, I'm going to treat this disease. But, and I would say it's a big but, they're not always right. We don't know what the misdiagnosis rate is in veterinary medicine. I suspect it's rather high. In human medicine, I think it's 10 to 15%. They do quote that in the book. In veterinary medicine, we don't do as many, we would call them necropsies as they do autopsies in humans. And it's really difficult. Then it would be much more difficult to say what was the actual diagnosis if you're not really looking at a patient that is deceased. And I mentioned pattern recognition. It's another potential cognitive error. So pattern recognition is important, but you need to know that that it is fraught with, per se, landmines. And a final miscellaneous. Uh, oh no, let me do the pearls. Pearls are are, are practice tidbits, basically. And I think this is, is one of the key points for the physician and veterinarian. Remember your mistakes and your misjudgments and keep them accessible in your mind. Every doctor has made a mistake, multiple mistakes. Hopefully it doesn't harm a patient, but sometimes it does. And it is truly unfortunate. But hopefully that you can take stock of what's transpired and remember that and not fall in that trap again yourself. You should always have an alternative diagnosis in mind and question your diagnosis. I did say perform a full physical exam. The author was, I believe he was an intern or resident. It doesn't matter. He examined a patient in a hospital, but he never looked underneath the patient, and then the patient spiked a fever. It turned out that couldn't figure out what was going on. They turned the patient over, and lo and behold, he had an abscess because he didn't look underneath the patient. So even something as simple as rolling a patient over is, is quite critical. Doctors need to have active listening and attempt not to close off their mind and jump to conclusions. They should really be listening to patients and in veterinary medicine, listening to the client. And it's better for doctors to ask open-ended questions to get more information. Now, sometimes open-ended questions are great and sometimes they're not. 
because you can't allow people to ramble on. And it's really an art when you're a physician veterinarian to guide people to give you accurate information. So you can ask an open-ended question, such as tell me what's going on with your pet, and the person will start talking, and then they'll say, okay, well, maybe they're not getting up very well. And then you can start asking targeted questions, such as how long has that been going on for? When was the first time you noticed that? Is it better? Is the difficulty getting up? Is it better in the morning? Is it better in the evening? Have you been giving any medications for it? So those are much more specific questions. Open-ended questions means that there, there's a lot that the person basically would say to, to, to respond to your question. And clinical intuition, this is all basically the same thing as pattern recognition. You have a, you, sometimes you get a feeling with a patient about a particular disease. And again, gut feelings are great. And it's really good, number one, to confirm your diagnosis. And number two, think about what else it could be. So the final category here, this will be the seventh topic that I'm covering in this book. I just lumped it under miscellaneous. It's a paper published analyzing medical decision-making and the result that most influence clinical choices. This is in, in human doctors with a last bad experience, right? So, you know, doctors might be doing quite a bit of testing. I think there's a tremendous amount, uh, obviously there's a tremendous amount of liability in, in human medicine. So sometimes, and I think it's true now, especially with the way insurance works, is to do quite a bit of testing. I can't comment really because it's all specific to individual cases, whether there's too much testing or not. Because sometimes too much testing gives you too much information that is really unusable. And it then becomes quite difficult to actually make a decision or even a diagnosis. And again, I think the final topic is doctors learn best from their mistakes. So I think for for the patient, for the physician, veterinarian, the client, ideally everybody's giving each other a break. Everybody's being objective as they can. Doctors should be questioning their choices. Patients, clients should be respecting the doctors. Doctors should be respecting patient and the client and then trying to come to some mutual understanding about how to proceed. And really, that's the best way because if you express expectations up front, it's going to be easier down the road if something untoward happens or the diagnosis or the patient takes a turn for the worse. Try to be as objective as possible. But we are sometimes not the most objective of animals. Sometimes we are emotional animals, and that's okay. It's okay for everybody to be emotional, but you got to keep it together, whether you're the doctor or not. Now, I can remember a time, I will share one anecdote of my own experience. You probably already said it, but when I went in to see a patient, a Newfoundland with a chronic skin condition, and the animal had lost almost all of its hair, and I saw that animal Tears just immediately started streaming down my face when I saw the condition of this animal, the condition of its skin. And that was a totally human response to an animal. Basically suffering to a certain extent to vary. You know, your your determination of suffering is going to vary from animal or, you know, case to case or person to person. But it did happen. And then I got my act together and I looked at the animal and I did what I had to do. So even doctors have emotions. I know a lot of people don't think that. Anyway, this has been the Clinical Science Podcast. This has been my first book report. I hope that you have gotten something out of this. And if you're interested, you can follow up and look for that book uh, online at Amazon. I 
read it in the paperback version, but I believe there's still a hard hardcover version, and I believe there's a Kindle or some other digital version of the book. All right, everybody, enjoy, and I'll see you again soon.